Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, come on. Yeah, what's great about this background? Oh, hey, we're on. What's great about this background is that, like, the printer's going off, kids are doing asynchronous schooling, so you'll never see him. Yeah. Behind me, of course, here on the bleachers, we've got, what is that, the 12th hole, Johnny Adams? Yes, it is. That is a part of Amen Corner, a special episode of Bleacher Blums. We're going to talk a little bit about baseball, especially what is going on in the American League West. And then, of course, if you have listened to Bleacher Blums often enough, you know that whenever the Masters rolls around, I love telling me some stories. I love sipping me on some John Daly's while I've got a rat in my mouth. And then uh, we, we, we like to talk a little bit about the golf. But, of course, we bring in one of our good friends, John Adams. And uh, Tuttle is on with me. And we bring in John Adams. And, John Adams, you've actually got some pretty good news because we are on the Social Nostra Network, which everybody knows about, hopefully, so far. If you don't, make sure you go to YouTube, click on the Social Nostra Network, subscribe. Therefore, you get to watch a couple of different podcasts on there, most notably the Bleacher Blums. But, of course... We have got our good friend, John Adams, who started on our podcast, and guess what? He went out on that limb, he took a chance, and now he has got his own show on the Social Nostra Network. John Adams, good friend, uh, golf coach, BP thrower, and all-around <laughs> good dude, joke teller, and ex-president, John Adams. How are you doing? And tell us about your podcast, man. Well, thanks a lot. It, it actually wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for you boys. So it yes. was, you know, you, you, you brought me on the last couple of years of just doing the majors and, uh, and Kevin from uh, social Nostra reached out and said, Hey, look, I think you should have your own podcast. And it, it took a while for me to kind of let it marinate. And then all of a sudden I have a, a buddy of mine in, in Minnesota that uh, is a great guy to have as a, you know, to go back and forth with uh, Scott Ainsworth. So we uh, kind of, you know, wondering how we were going to name it, what we wanted to do. And, and so we kind of figured out that we, we call it extra holes. Um, and more or less what it's, uh, what we're trying to do is it's like two guys after golf, sitting down, maybe having a, a beverage or whatever of any sort of beverage you want to have and nice. just talking golf. That's all. It's only 30 minutes long. We bust and move. We talk about what's happening on tour stories backgrounds through caddies that uh, we have relationships all over the tour so just a fun and we just we just uh, did our master's week uh, yesterday to launch on saturday so it'll be a couple days late but um you know just talked about uh, what's going on in augusta and uh so and then we kind of we didn't do it for a couple weeks so we went over the match play and we went over uh, what happened in uh at the valero texas open just real quick and then uh and then went into it so um Again, I know that we're going to have our podcast, but I'm still welcome to go back to the well here and work with you guys every every major. And and uh, but again, I have to thank you guys for the exposure that got me uh, to this fun little podcast we're doing. Hey, Johnny, welcome aboard. And uh, what I was going to say is, I mean, you you hopefully because we helped you kind of launch your uh, podcast, you save some nuggets for us. You don't want to use up all your material <laughs> on your own podcast, right? We need right. some nuggets for the bleacher blums podcast the other thing is so far this morning we've talked about extra holes and three balls so i don't i don't 
I don't know where we're going with, <laughs> with the podcast, but you know, we have extra holes, three balls and who knows what's coming, but uh, yeah. welcome aboard. And uh, thanks for joining our podcast. That's why golf's a bad four letter word. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. Uh, all the innuendo that you can use, you know, it's sometimes, man, you know, and we're probably going to talk a little bit about the greens being firm and fast, which is what she said, but you know, it has been a firm and fast start to the Major League season. Tuttle, yes. I want to get your opinion on, you know, you nailed it when you were talking about spring training earlier in a couple podcasts when we were talking about the Astros not hitting a lot of home runs. The batting average is down. Pitching is suspect. Uh, what are they going to be right out of the chute? So give us, give us a recap on what you said about spring and then give me an idea of what you've thought about the first week of spring training. Yeah, thanks, I mean, first week I, of the uh, season. Jeez, yeah, get yeah, me out yeah. of spring. Jeez. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess playing the A's is probably like the first week of spring training. I mean, there's not a better launching pad for the Astros. Um, you mentioned the A's schedule, right? They have to play Astros, Dodgers, Astros, whereas the uh, Astros get to play the Angels and the A's. So, um, you know, there, there'll be some parity over the 162 games. I will say um, you and I have had this conversation back and forth a ton, which is does spring training mean a lot? And for certain teams, it means a lot, right? Guys are trying to make the club and, you know, teams are trying to establish themselves. For an experienced team like the Astros, it typically doesn't mean as much. And I thought this year, um, you know, I guess you're right. I, I was a little bit right and a little bit wrong. Go figure. But I felt like they needed to show a little bit more in spring training. But also, um, you know, they were ready to, to, you know, hit the ground running. And they proved that. The other piece of that, which is interesting, is, uh, like I said, you know, starting off with the A's helps a little bit. But the one piece we said over the course of the year is going to be just that back end of the bullpen, those setup guys. Ooh, and yeah. uh, they were rolling 3-0, and 4-0. and And then, you know, that's what that's what bit them. Those guys facing Trout, you know, eighth, eighth inning, seventh, eighth inning. And uh, so, you know, we'll see how it plays out over the season. But so far, so good. And I think if nothing else, if you're the Astros, you want to start the season like that. I mean, it's a long yeah. year. And uh, it's a much better way to start the season than the way the A's started the season. Um, what well, say you about how the Astros started? Well, what was interesting to me is that they started on the road. And I think that was probably even an even bigger key because instead of going home, getting coddled and cheered for, they had to go on the road to uh, Oakland and get thrashed verbally. I think it was great for them just to go in and all of a sudden wake up and see what they were, what they're going to be up against for 81 games on the road. And it was kind of interesting to me watching how the first couple of games went with them getting booed like crazy. And eventually by the end of that series, the A's fans had turned on their own team and started booing their own guys. So it was kind of interesting how that worked out. But it really looked to me like the, the Astros were going out with a little bit of extra vigor, knowing that they were going to get the hate. They're going to get the harassment and played a little bit more angry than they normally do in the past, which is kind of interesting. My only question with that is, are they going to be able to maintain that throughout the course of a season? Because 81 games of that kind of pressure and that kind of, uh, of vitriol is, is going to wear on any human. But as long as they go out there and swing the bats, they're going to be fine. And to your point about the back end of the bullpen, it's, that's where the question mark is. Ryan Presley is, is slated as the closer. Pedro Baez, a free agent pickup that they got, is not in, in, on the team yet because he's going through COVID protocol and trying to get back in shape to get back on the roster. But in that A series, they went out and they, they scored enough. They didn't have to use the back end of the bullpen. And if they're going to be consistent and be a contender, they have to play that way so they don't have to rely on the back end of the bullpen because they went down to Anaheim. And two Tuttle's point, and John Adams is a huge Angels fan who I'm going to bring in here real quick. Uh, they, they got some of that vitriol that first night in, uh, 
in Anaheim, but they also faced a better lineup. And it's interesting that all the projections have the Angels being the second team to compete for that American League West title with the Astros. And I think we saw why on that first game in Anaheim, because that lineup is really deep. I think Iglesias is an interesting pickup in the nine spot for them, having hit at 373 last year, which nobody talked about because he was in Baltimore. Uh, Shohei Otani healthy is an, an absolute threat every time he steps in the box or gets on the mound. It was more, probably one of the more exciting guys I've ever seen. And then you have Mike Trout being protected by Anthony Rendon. And that's where I think that this lineup has changed a little bit. Upton is always going to be a threat, but you can pitch to him and he has some holes that you can attack. But Anthony Rendon behind Mike Trout makes Mike Trout that much better because he might get some pitches to hit. Because if Mike Trout's on base, Rendon's going to drive him in. And to that point, and I want to know your opinion on this, Johnny, is Tuttle actually read an article where it said Anthony Rendon could end up being the MVP of the American League, probably because of that factor. But what did you see early on from the Angels? And did you enjoy that quick, quick taste of a two-game series between the uh, Astros and Angels? Well, first of all, I want to thank. Uh, I want to. I, I I thought it was really cool that Oakland went out and did not listen to Governor Newsom and said, "I'll open up the gates. Whoever wants to come can come." So that looked like that was a sellout there in Oakland. For Dude, that was for, just a for, backhand for to all of Oakland like, fans, right? Yeah, whoever wants to come, come in. It's, it's still going to be twenty percent, so don't worry about it. Just come on in. Um, they could they could just announce it as a sellout now. Well, yeah. Uh, well, I think it, you know Tuttle actually watches uh, uh, some Angel games too, but. Um, Look at, I mean, the, the, the lineup's the lineup. I mean, when you got Pujols hitting seven, eight, you know, even if he's going to be hitting, I love the addition of Walsh. I mean, he's a dead red hitter. Uh, Good call. So what, what I love about it is when you put Otani in the second spot and or, or, or Trout, however they're going to maneuver that whole deal, Rendon's going to be sitting. You can't pitch around these guys to, you know, you can't pitch around. So that's what I love, the depth of it. But I, I've had many conversations with you, the Blummer, you're going to have to score six runs to win seven runs because I just don't yeah. think that the the pitching staff uh, now I, I'm I've been impressed with the middle relief to the relief although I haven't been too impressed with how Madden manages his pitchers um, and and I want to throw this at you guys is it is it nowadays that they're going to use four to seven guys in, in every game because I mean I mean it's it's the it's the it's the first five games and and Madden's asking Iglesias to come in and get four and five outs back to back I, I just like it almost sounded like it was the end of the season we're trying to make the playoffs and I'm like you're just I just think he's stretching these guys out a little bit but go ahead Dave I see it no I'm just gonna say that's a great I mean your analysis is spot on and I think it's funny just the way we talked about the Astros uh kind of the hole in their hole in their team is kind of that little late to middle both at like the sixth seventh inning sometimes bridging into the eighth is where they're gonna have to piece it together the Angels have to piece their starting rotation together and I think Madden does two things. One is, I mean, I hate that the answer is always this. And I listen to another podcast where the answer is always, it depends, right? Is this how they're going to go about the whole year? It really depends, right? It depends on who's performing and how things are going. Yeah, but just a note, that's not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> oh, depends. Yeah. Well, it will be soon. And in, in the next five years, it will be, especially if we have extra holes. Hold on, I got to go ball. change mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so now they're going to be a sponsor. 
So, uh, but but the, it's a great question, John. And I think Madden proved to me in that World Series back with the Cubs when he tried to throw a Raldis's Chapman arm off. You know, like we're bringing him in in the uh, fifth, and he threw the fifth, sixth, and the seventh, and by the eighth, he was throwing you know ninety four instead of one hundred and four. And I think Madden right now realizes that the hole is the starting, you know, rotation. So he's trying to win as many games and get as much confidence and find roles for these guys. So I don't know if they're keeping 13 or 14 pitchers at this point, but it sounds like he's going to just try and bring these guys in and get them a role if they're not established. And, um, you know, he's going to piecemeal it together. The problem is, I don't know if Madden's, if that's his strong suit, he's really good at creating a cohesive team and, doing but i don't you know i i've never loved the way he uses the pitchers um you know Bruce, well, Bruce we, Bochy, we, lose, okay. we lose our pitching coach so i'm wondering if he's going to be more hands-on right so uh, you know we got uh, wise is coming in you know and 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 uh, we got a guy uh slager who uh, like he he looks like he came from the, the lakers and you put him on a mound i mean but he's actually done pretty he's he's yeah. good right so i love these guys that are coming in now the question i have for you guys and, and, and this is what kind of like uh, I'm struggling with with the, the organization. Um, is the crafty lefty done now? Is, is the Jamie Moyers of the day, are they, are they done? Because when you're topping out at 90 miles an hour, so the Quintana and the Haney situation is, I don't know if, you know, if that's the future, you know what I mean? And now I don't mind if you have one guy, right. But we have two guys that kind of throw the same stuff. And I'm just wondering, Hey, look at, if you're not throwing 95 and up, like, are you, are you, I don't know. I, I, I'm just a little, I think that that guy has passed me now and I'm wanting more because the kid that came in and saved that game, or the Rodriguez kid, right. Is that's, that stuff's moving at 96. Right. And, and I mean, Quintana and Haney have to be so spot on to win their games because you, the only way they're going to succeed is if the guy's guessing. Right. And that's mm. nowadays they're, they're just sitting there waiting and going, you know what, I'm going to wait. And because this stuff really is not going to be coming over the plate. He's going to want me to chase. So I'm just going to wait for this 90 mile an hour fastball and he'll see, still see saliva off my face and I'm going to go yard. <laughs> but I, I struggle with those guys now. I really do. And I don't mm. know if, if, if that's the norm uh, across, and I don't see it. So I don't know. I, I, I don't think it's good to have multiple guys like that in your rotation because mentally as a hitter, if I know I've got to go in, Dylan Bundy looked great to me, by the way. Oh, and uh, he's an he, inning he, eater. He'll eat innings yeah. all day long, you know? So, so I think, you know, it's easier to match up with those guys and create a bullpen that can back up a guy like Dylan Bundy, as opposed to a guy who can back up Quintana or, or Haney. Um, but, you know, I watched Dallas Keuchel in 2015, I think it was 2015, go out and win a Cy Young. But to John's point, he had to be spot on every time. It was it was the change up. It was the, it was the uh, sinker, but it was the ability to pitch in occasionally and stand guys up to open up the outside corner. So he had to be very, very immaculate in what he was going out there and doing and executing perfectly on a daily basis to go do that. And it's not, and Keuchel's an example of you can go out there and do that, but he was the only guy in that rotation that was left-handed, threw a little bit soft. Uh, the Cubs have Kendrick, who's a right-hander, you know, kind of Greg Maddox-ish with the way he moves the ball Kendrick and hits his spots. Or Yeah, uh, the Mission Viejo kid. Yeah, yeah. 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 Capo Valley guy, yep. Yeah, so 
uh, they have that guy. And then, uh, like you said, Quintana's out there. But, uh, you know, it's like Mark Burley. Burley was a guy that just, I'm going to work fast. I'm going to work down. And you're going to get yourself out. So that's all you, you that's how you have to pitch. And you're going to pitch to contact. That's where I think the issue is with the Angels. Because Keuchel did it with the Astros, who had a phenomenal defense behind them. A lot of range. They shift. They know how to play the guys. They, they've got books on everybody. And they were in position to make Keuchel maybe a better pitcher than he was. And that's what the Angels are going to have to do. Now, you've got Iglesias, who's not an Andrelton Simmons, but he's still pretty good. Rendon's yeah. going to win a gold glove. But, it, you know, Fletcher's all over the place. Who's going to play first base? Is it Walsh? Is it Pujols? Depends on Shohei Otani. So there's going to be some gaps out there. But you have to have an outfield that has the ability when that guy's not throwing ground balls to go chase it down. And I'm not convinced that, you know, I'm not convinced that Mike Trout's the best center fielder out there. I know that Justin Upton has limited range and, you know, who's in right field to go track some of that stuff down. Is it Walsh or somebody else? So, yeah. Yeah, So that's where you kind of have to, you have to pitch perfect, but you got to play perfect defense too. I agree. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just going to add one more thing to that, which is I think Quintana and like you said, Heaney, not, bad pitchers but the guys we're talking about are Keuchel um Mark Burley Tom Glavin possibly yeah. even though he got a lot Good of call. corners those are the three guys those are almost hall of fame I mean you know hall of fame style pitchers I mean Heaney and Quintana they should learn from those guys and I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's so much having one or two of those guys in your rotation Keiko had a really good hammer, right? He has a really good curveball, yep. um, you know, from top to bottom of the zone. He could throw for a strike. He would throw chase. He was a little bit of a different style pitcher. So to your point, John, I mean, your, your analysis, I think, is spot on. I don't love how Madden uh, kind of piecemeals it together. We're not really sure. And maybe one of those guys is the number two starter and one of them is a five starter. So you space them out. But they need to be a lot more. Uh, they need to improve their skill set a lot more as well. So it's not so much the stuff. It's like the mentality. Am I going to be Mark Burley or Tom Glavin, or am I just going to be Quintana or Heaney? And that makes it difficult. And is, and, and, and Jeff, do you, strategically, do you do you always put somebody like a Haney or a Haney and, and a Quintana after you've seen a Otani or a Bundy to where you're seeing guys that are throwing 96 to 100 miles an hour, and then you bring in the guy after that? Like, is he doing it as a starter? Because I think a guy like Quintana should go to the pin and be a middle relief guy if Haney's going to be your crafty lefty, right? I don't yeah. – so I'm just wondering, like, do you always put one of these guys in after you face somebody throwing gas, like the I, next I day? Yeah, I think it's easier if you went Bundy, Quintana, or Haney, and then Shohei Otani. If you could split those guys up and create a little separation and force, because not only does it force the hitter to adjust, it forces the manager to adjust too, especially if you go right, left, right. Mm-hmm. You know, the Astros just got done with the uh, Oakland A's, and they had three lefties in a row. They bash the, you know, they bash Lizardo, and then all of a sudden they show up and bash everybody out of their bullpen that's left-handed. And then there's another left-handed starter the next day. And those guys are, you're just in a groove. It, you know, it's visually, uh, you're it. seeing, you're seeing the release point out of a similar spot, so you can kind of go, oh, okay, that's in the same spot where I, you know, I raked the guy before, so it's coming out of the same spot. But I think it's good to mix those guys up and. Uh, Keiko was in a similar similar situation where he was leading the staff, but you had McCullers behind him. All of a sudden, you've got 90, 94 with movement and a power curveball. It's a completely different animal that you've got to go out there and adjust to. And I think also you've got to remember, you know, I'm gonna I'm not gonna give Joe Madden excuses, uh, but watching Dusty Baker last season try and adjust to guys he doesn't know, I think Joe Madden in the same sense is doing the same thing. 
because he had a short season last year. They didn't play very well. Now he's in a new season and he's trying to figure out where these guys fit. And I know that you trade for Iglesias who had a great closing career with the Cincinnati Reds and should do the same thing with the uh, Los Angeles angels. But to John's point, you got to use him as a closer. You can't go out there and go, this guy's the best weapon I've got. I'm going to use him for eight outs. You know, I mean, that just seems like a lot for a guy to go out there and do, but uh, you know, Slagers, dude, that guy is freaking filthy, man. Yeah. What he did to the Chicago White Sox was ridiculous. 6'10", yeah. throwing, you know, mad yeah. tilt straight down. Yeah. And then, uh, good Lord, Chris Rodriguez, dude's 22 years old and throws like 97 with just whap, kind of yeah. crazy sink. I mean, there's, so there's some weapons that I think Joe's trying to figure out how to manipulate and put in positions to succeed. But they need yeah, to protect the Glaciers. And we and, and we you got to field your spot right. So Iglesi gets it and turns into Steve Sachs. He has oh. no idea how to throw the baseball right. He's like, I yeah. mean, I'm wondering if we got Matt Sasser coming in as a consultant on how to roll it to him. Like that was disgusting, <laughs> you know. That's funny. Um, I, I was going to say one last thing about that. I didn't and just to not just in case Joe Madden wants to come on the podcast. Like I didn't like how he managed in the World Series. Um, but I, I think to Blum's point, and that was the point I was trying to make, is it's so early in the year, and, and he doesn't know his team. So he's you're going to see a little bit different Joe Madden in month one, you know, April, May, yeah. than you will Good June, point. July, because now he'll know. Hopefully. Oh, yeah, I'm going to – well, right, hopefully. But you're going <laughs> to – now he'll know where his guys are. He'll know who's healthy. He'll know who he has confidence in. And that does take a while to build, especially when, uh, to Blummer's point, shortened season last year, new manager, new season this year. Uh, with some new players and, you know, and the COVID protocol kind of coming uncuffed. So let, let me ask you guys, you guys are both fans of the game of baseball. And we know that the Astros uh, got exposed for the cheating scandal. And I think one of the more interesting, you know, uh, storylines throughout the course of the season is going to be the Astros playing on the road. They got, they caught a lot of heat in uh, Oakland. They caught a lot of heat in Anaheim and deservedly. So I am, you know, broadcasting these games on the road is going to be tough because in my headset, I can hear the booze. I can hear the, you know, the, the douchebag comments to guys. I can hear the, you know, you cheat nay holes. I mean, I can hear everything and we just try and, you know, gently talk over that without, uh, you know, trying to bring more attention to the situation, but I get it. I totally get it. If you have a, if you have a, you know, an open wound on another team, you just go ahead and keep jabbing it, pouring some salt in it and get after it, hopefully to throw them off their game. Um, I'm not a fan of throwing, you know, garbage on the field or doing things like that, but I appreciate the creativity, you know, with the blow up trash can and the whole thing. But uh, you know, how do you guys, how are you guys seeing that? And, were you impressed by what the Astros did? Do you think they can maintain it? Do you think it affects them? I mean, I'm just kind of curious from a fan point of view what you guys feel about the uh, the fans ahead, to the Astros. Go ahead, Dave. I'll let oh, you. I was going to let you go. I, uh, I'll just say, because Blummer, you and I have talked about this on the podcast before. I think it um, emboldens the Astros, to be honest, as a competitor. I said this before. People think the ballplayers play for the money and the you know, the lifestyle and all that stuff. Most of the guys I know don't, because like you said, it's not life-changing money. You know, if you play three years in the big leagues, five years, in the, you're just an ultimate competitor and you just want to, you know, and I said this before you said kind of today that, yeah, it emboldened them because they got on the road and they saw how they'd be treated and it's just them against the world. And I don't think you mentioned this before. I mean, it, the, the season's mentally taxing, but I don't think it's as mentally taxing, um, 
I watched a Larry Bird thing there, uh, a YouTube clip the other night and they were saying how Larry Bird is like, uh, you know, he was the best, you know, shit talker in the league for years and years and nobody <laughs> knew it. And he, uh, they got a layover one time and you eat hot dogs in the, in the, um, airport and they got laid over at 8am and 9am. This is before they flew, um, uh, private and they were flying commercial and they got in and the, the guy's like, there's a snowstorm in the Northeast. They're playing wherever. And he has to, uh, the bus driver's like, I can't take you to the hotel and then the arena. Where do you want to go? And they're like, all right, the arena, we got a game tonight. So they show up at the arena at five o'clock and everyone's just dragging ass and they're just laying there and they're like, you know what? This sucks. You know, we'll just, we'll throw in the towel tonight. And Larry Bird came out on the floor and he's like, you know what? He goes, I ate hot dogs and I laid at the airport all day. He goes, this don't take this ass whooping personally. And I feel like that that's the Astros. Like, you know, they can be low energy. They could have a hard series, like, you know, against, you know, a tougher team and then go up to Seattle and be interesting, you know, point. kind of, kind of middle of the road, kind of like, eh, you know, we're in Seattle. We've won seven out of the last 10. Like, you know, we'll just, let's see what happens. And then the fans pull out the blow up trash can and they say that you guys suck. And, you know, all this stuff where got some of those guys weren't even on the team. And they're like, you know what? They huddle up, they tough it out. And, you know, I actually think it's going to kind of make them a tougher and better team. And I think those 81 games probably won't mentally tax them the way, you know, because they'll always like get that it. extra burst of energy, that competitive juice. So what mm -hmm. say you, John? Yeah, I think, I think you got a good point there. I think it's going to be kind of hit and miss, you know, I think you're going to get it yeah. in your, your big baseball towns, right. You're going to get it in your New York's, your Boston's, you know, they're, they're going to try to voice your opinion. Um, you know, in my mind, I think you should only boo if you're going to boo uh, the guys that were actually on that team. I, you know, it was kind of funny because Maldonado's an ex-angel and, and Maldonado get up and there was no booing. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody else would get up and they'd boo the hell out of them. Right. And, and Anaheim was and, really good about that. It's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So, so you know, um, you know, I'm wondering if AJ's getting booed in Detroit. I, I don't know. But I mean, it's just, you know, what's what. On the positive, right? They're only going to get twenty-five to fifty percent of the fans. It's not going to be sold. Well, they might get booed in Texas because I guess Texas has got a <laughs> they get booed there anyway. Forty thousand yeah. in there, right? It's uh, but you know, it's you know, again, as long as it's booing, I you know, like don't throw stuff at them. Don't throw stuff at you know. Go ahead, boo. I mean, that that that's you know, that's what you have in your heart. However, you want to deal with it, but you know, I I think that. By next year, like okay, you you boot them, like it's over with, like let's let's mm -hmm. let's go on. And the only reason it's happening is because they didn't get the boo last year because there was no fans in the stands, right? So yep. you know, look at I, I have no problem with the booing. I have I, I I just hope that you're booing guys that were playing on that team and not booing guys that were not playing, you know, on the team. So um, like don't don't boo Dusty Baker. He wasn't coaching, you know, he had no part of it. <laughs> like so. Um, you know, so that that's that's my take on it. Um, but Lumber, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the guys that said, okay, it's over with, just done, let's carry yeah. on. So yeah, kind of like the steroid era. Blummer, you 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 tell me the 81 games on the road. Like I said, I use the Larry Bird example because you know sometimes you do you are flat and you don't feel great about how the game's going, and all of a sudden you know something can mm -hmm. you know spur you on. I was just curious because you mentioned that you thought the the 81 games on the road might take a toll. Um, did you mean that as a broadcaster or a player or what you saw this weekend? But what do you, what do you think 
based on the players they have, the Brantleys, the Bregmans, what do you think that's going to mean for the Astros? Um, well, they're a veteran team now. And just, I, I was curious about that when the season started. And I just imagined in my own mind, just getting berated everywhere I went would be extremely tough. Cause it's probably not just happening on the field. It's probably happening when they get off the bus and walk through the lobby of the hotel. Maybe there's somebody outside that is, is letting them have it there. Uh, social media is a joke too. I mean, those guys are getting it from every angle. So that was the only thing that kind of made me that made me think that it would be taxing. I like your idea of maybe it does invigorate them. You know, you're waking up, you're like, man, I just don't want, I don't feel like going out here today. My body's beat. I'm kind of down dragging jet lag, whatever it is. And then you go, man, that guy's on me today, man. I'd really like to get a couple of knocks and piss that guy off. You know, and that does provide a little bit of energy and you can use it to your advantage. So hopefully they do see it that way. But just in reading some of the articles and listening to some of the sound bites that these guys have given us, I thought it was very interesting, you know, to hear guys say, you know what, we've played in the playoffs, you know what, four out of the last five years, we've heard it on the road from Yankee fan, Boston fans, and all of all kinds of, of different situations. And we've been to a World Series, we know what intensity is, we know how to turn it on. And that was interesting. So that kind of feeds into the, the idea that you have, Tuttle, about them feeding off it. And then I also think that it's going to galvanize them a little bit. And then Brent, Michael Brantley came out with a great quote and he goes, they, they're going to boo. They're going to yell. They're going to hate us. But the fact is we got each other's backs. And I was like, yep, that's, that's how you have to look at it. So they've kind of created their own bubble and they're going after everybody, them against the world. You know, you know, I think there's another thing here that nobody's talking about. Right. And, and that is, being on the road and going out, right? These guys aren't going out because of COVID situation. It could be worse <laughs> yeah. in restaurants and bars and that kind of stuff. So, oh yeah, I mean that's that's kind of a that's kind of a positive on on the Astro side is you know you get done with the ball game, you hear the booze, that's fine. But then you get go go into a bar and have a pop with a friend. You got some guy that's half in the bag and and just goes off on you. Well, they're not going to see that. I don't think these guys are going out mm -hmm. yet. I don't think so. I don't know what the protocol is for every team, but. Um, you know, that's, yeah, that's another thing that's, you know, they're not running into that right now. That's, that, that's a different kind of groupie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of groupie, can we make it groupings? Like we brought John on to talk about the masters and I happen to not be a huge, haven't been watching a lot of golf, even though uh, when COVID started, golf was the preeminent, you know, sport to watch oh, man, because, you know, yeah, they were, it was like a great thing to watch, but um, I watched Spieth uh, come down the stretch last week at the um, Valero and it was impressive. Um, and I didn't realize he hadn't won in four years. That just makes mm -hmm. me feel old. I'm like, damn, he hasn't won in four years, but he looked pretty good. And, uh, and I think it always speaks to how mental, I mean, I thought baseball was a mental game, but how Oof. mental golf is more than physical. Cause these guys are just, I mean, and, and, and to, to Charlie, uh, What's Charlie's last name? The guy in second, uh, Hoffman. mullet guy, Charlie Hoffman. Hoffman. San Diego Dude, guy. Charlie Hoffman. I mean, more times than not last week, the guy's like, well, Hoffman's two strokes back with three to play. He doesn't have much of a chance. He's got to make this putt. Boom. 20 footer nailed it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, these guys, all of them, like at the top, like if you think this is easy. So anyway, a little transition to golf. And I know we're going to talk to masters, but I was really impressed watching those guys and I don't know how that carries over week to week. Like if that releases all the pressure on speed and he's going to play well this week or Charlie Hoffman impressed the daylights out of me because, you know, he hit, hits one in the sand and they're like, that's the one spot you don't want to be. And then he hits one about 20 feet and then puts yeah. it in. I was like, yeah, and, it, it, and he loses by a couple and he shoots 75 the first round. So, I mean, he, oh, wow. he had the gas pedal down there from, from the round two to round four, but 
You know, yeah. uh, you're absolutely right, Tuttle. It, the confidence just goes through the roof, right? I mean, uh, you know, you guys can, you know, expand on that when it comes to the sport, you know, with baseball. But, um, you know, here's, here's a guy that, you know, I want to say for a couple years, year and a half was – he couldn't find it off the tee. He's very he's emotional. He's very open. He's he's flat out saying, I got nowhere. I have no idea what's going on. He is just flipping coins. But he just kept he had a he had a good team behind him and he just kept battling and battling and battling. And I was some I was talking to some guys uh, that were at the match play in Austin. And uh, actually Billy, who caddies for Fitzpatrick, uh, came off because uh, uh, Speak beat him. And uh, it said his iron play, first of all, short game's phenomenal. The short game is oh, one of the dude. best on tour, right? It's always so, been, yeah. so there, there's yeah. that, first of all. But his iron play was unreal, right? And Billy walks off and says, how you're not backing that guy at the Masters, uh, I, I don't know. So I think he's what he's done is, you know, these guys mm-hmm. tee it up really high to try to get as much yardage as possible. Well, what I think he's noticed is he started teeing it down a little bit more and just hitting – some controlled golf shots and keeping uh. himself in the fairway. And what's happened now is his confidence is up. Right. So, you know, what, what's, what's funny is on Sunday, he pipes it down on 18. He's got a two shot lead and he's talking to Michael about hitting three wood into this hole. And his whole mindset was I'll just hit it off the bleachers and get a free drop. Right. <laughs> Every tour player is, is yelling, what is he doing? What is he thinking about? Right. And Michael, that's where Michael just sits on the driver or three wood and says, you're hitting one of these silver things, right? Yeah. Love it. Yeah. You know, you're hitting one of these silver things and he duck hooked an eight iron, but he, yep. but it was okay. Right. It was okay. But just like his mindset of even thinking about, it, he wanted to hit three wood. He's like, no, you don't have to win here. You're, you're winning. Like just, Make yeah. this guy make birdie or eagle. Like, make him do it, you know? And he so. hit a shitty eight iron. I mean, they put no. the little tracer on there, and he <laughs> was, like, between three wood and eight iron. He's like, I'll hit it up there. And that, the conversation think, was great. Just that think was if it was favorite. a three wood, he would have been in downtown San Antonio. I he would have been. Oh, man. The tracer oh. went like this with his eight iron, and I was like, oh, no. And he's like, it's all right over there, right? And Michael's like, mm, I think so. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not good when you have to hit and go, yeah. <laughs> where, where well, you don't you have know, to tell me that your caddy's like you're safe you know? yeah, yeah i do that that's all what, the that's time. what that's what john, john looks like playing with us that's right exactly you're over anyway. here mr jones you're over here mr blum you're mr <laughs> army uh, golf left right left yeah right exactly so uh but uh you know again getting back to speed just i mean we're talking i i don't have them but it's like fifth fourth you know, 10, mm-hmm. I mean, the last five tournaments have just been all in the top 20, top 10, top five, and and now with a win. So, you know, going to a place where he's won twice, he loves it there. Like, it's all moving in his direction. Um, but getting back to the golf course, I don't know if you guys want me to continue to go down that. But the golf course is, is the Hold first couple Hold days. Go ahead. No, I want before we get to the golf course because the golf course is very interesting to me, and I and I wanted to talk to you about the difference of them playing in November and playing now. But they actually made a big move to start this tournament off, and one of the traditions at the Masters is to have yes. a couple of veterans go out there and and tee off on the first tee. Kind of explain 
you know, the tradition of that and the importance of having a guy like Lee Elder there right. at this moment in time. So, so, you know, you got to give it to Augusta in the, in the, in the, the years in the past, right. There has been you know, scrutiny, you know, of it all being in an all male club. And then they opened it up to women and they've also opened up to black members and they've just kept it up. Now they have a woman's amateur, right. Prior to the tournament, they have the chip and putt drive chip and putt deal with the kids like they've really opened it up and 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 you know they are a very very powerful voice in sport yes. right and and so i think they i love what they've done and now uh what they you know they lost arnold palmer and they're you know they have this these legends um that have hit the first tee shot to start the masters every thursday morning and they decided to ask lee elder who was the first black man to play in the masters in the late sixties. And they've asked him to join them. Now, what they've done is they even gone beyond that, right? They, they have this asked Payne, Payne college to actually, they have given two scholarships away now under it's called the Lee elder scholarship. And it'll be under Payne college, which is a local black college for a men's golf golfer and a woman's golfer now, because they now have a women's team. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, Payne College in re uh, uh, return gave Lee Elder a, uh, a honorary doctorate. So that was gigantic for Lee, right? So this is really, you know, with what's going on in the world today and what's happening in the world today, I thought it was just a spot on great, great job by the, they call it the national, right? Uh, Augusta mm -hmm. National um, Committee and, 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 you know, um, board members and all that kind of stuff to, to, to keep growing the sport, you know, into the women's and into the kids and then now into, you know, different races and, and helping out different races and, and giving back to the community. They were, they were the first one to build in Augusta, a, uh, a facility for COVID, you know, to help do testing and stuff like that. So I really like how they have, have really opened their, their, their heart and their, uh, their arms where they used to be really tight knit and you don't yeah, tell us yeah. what to do. You don't tell, you know, we, we tell you what to do. Right. So that, I think that's been great. So. Well, using that same, we tell you what to do mentality. This is what they say, lead from the front. Right. So if they stayed tight knit and closed, then everybody else follows suit. And I think that's probably the biggest impact there is that they were the ones, they were kind of the voice that maybe other clubs or other organizations would follow. And the fact that they were so exclusive and so kind of, um, uh, you know, small, has really, I think that's to me the most impressive thing is that now they're the ones that are taking the lead and then other organizations and other, um, uh, there's no excuse right behind that. Like, well, if they did it, then, you know, every other organization should be able to. Follow. Well, I have, if, if, if you want to just talk about Augusta national and what's going on in the world today, I know that chairman Ridley did speak a little bit on what's going on in the Atlanta area for for the voting and i don't want to get into that right and he he's you know he said his mind and that's that's what it is um but i want to ask you uh what are your thoughts with what manfred did in atlanta right and and again i don't want to make this political i just want it to be what's been kind of weird is you know manfred is actually a member at augusta yep so so there's and i'll tell you right now i don't know how long that might last Okay, just to, I, I don't care. I they, hope they take a They don't want controversy away. with any members. They don't want any any members having controversy. So Manfred pulls it out of Atlanta and then he puts it in Colorado, which has the same voting rights, right? I guess I think they're the they're same. They're stricter. So, yeah, yeah. So 
I, again, I don't want to make this political, but I just, you know, Manfred yeah. being, you know, uh, you know, with maybe with Major League Baseball and Wilmer, if you don't want to talk about this, I totally understand because yeah. of the podcast, but no. I find it weird that he's a member at Augusta and he does I, that. Yeah. I, th- I think that, that we are talking about the Masters. Rob Manfred is a member at Augusta National. Rob Manfred is also the commissioner of baseball and Rob Manfred has a tendency to bring these controversies on controversies on himself. Now, that being said, I have not read the Georgia's voting laws that were enacted. I, I don't, I, I've, I've, you know, you know, at first glimpse, I mean, every, you know, if I watch CNN, it's horrific. If I watch, you know, Fox news, it's something different. So, I mean, I'm trying, I don't have enough knowledge as far as the voting laws are concerned. When I first heard they were moving the, the, the all-star game out of Atlanta, my first thought was, damn it, Ronald Acuna is not going to be able to perform in front of his home crowd. So my first thought was the players. My next thought were the fans, because these, these events move from city to city for a reason, so that each city can have the opportunity to see the best in the game. So the fans are going to lose, economies lose. And what, what I, I was fine with them moving out of Atlanta, I guess, for, for, to make a statement, I guess. I don't know. But to move it to Colorado, I didn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, at Atlanta, and I think we all know this too. I don't think I'm, you know, rocking the boat or saying something idiotic when we say Georgia is a predominantly African American state, and and Atlanta is a predominantly African American city. And then you move it to Denver. Yeah. I mean, could you have picked a worse, like a more opposite city in Denver? And nothing yeah. against either of them, but it just didn't make sense to take that away from Atlanta and move it to a place like Denver where Denver could give two shits about baseball. Uh, if you watch how they manage their, the Rockies. And then the other thing is Hank Aaron passed away. Yeah. Hank Aaron and the city of Atlanta uh, will that that's Hank Aaron land. And now you're, you're removing the opportunity for the city of Atlanta to honor the greatest home run hitter in all of baseball and considering when he did it, how he did it in, a, in Atlanta during that time, it, it, you're just removing an opportunity, I think, to really bring more attention to the gravity of the situation than just pulling the plug and leaving. So that's kind of where I, I'm I at. Don't I don't want to get political I, I, either. I've never but. been a fan when sports get political. So just let it yep. be. Just, you know, try to find a way to try to derail the, the political side of it. Keep it there. I just thought it was too quick of a judgment call. And, you know, and, and I don't know, it's just, I'm an again, optimist. I, I like to, about. I'm an optimist and I like to focus on the positivity. This is mm-hmm. something that wouldn't even have been an issue had they just left it there. And now right. it's something that we end up talking about. And like, now, yeah, like Blummer said, now we're looking at the voting rights. Like, well, let me look at the voting rights in Colorado and let me look at the ones in Georgia. And why am I looking at voting rights when, I mean, this is the major league baseball all-star game. Baseball and so game. I think, <laughs> Yeah. So I think to your point, it ends up being political and it may just appease a few people and not the masses. And I think they've probably done a little more harm than without even getting political, a little more yeah. harm than than good just by making a hasty decision. And then, and then, now, they're, put these, then they're putting these coaches on the line. Well, what do you think about it? What do you think yeah. about it? I don't want to. Hey, dude, the, the golf channel, I flipped the golf channel in between games yesterday and they were asking every single golfer this question. I'm like, bro. Yeah. Golf Channel, I get it. It's yeah. I don't know what you're going for here, but I tuned into the Golf Channel to hear these guys talk about the Masters and how they're going to play and what – I don't know. Yeah. Well, you brought up Lee Elder, African-American. He's like, I was going to back Tiger in the Masters because I like his iron and his putting, but it's his driving that I was concerned about, and <laughs> now he's out. So, boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom. 
By the way, did you see that? Did you see that? Uh, yeah. News, news flash? Yep. Okay, so my, my sister-in-law lives up in those hills. 80, oh, wow. 85 miles an hour down that hill. The only guy can handle that is a NASCAR driver. I mean, it's un- that is crazy. Oh, like, 40 miles my, an hour over the speed limit? My wife, my wife still thinks he was asleep. That was her call. She thinks I he was asleep think, with his foot on the accelerator. Think, You're, he hit the tree going 70, 84, and a 45 up there. He must have been asleep or texting. Yeah. My, my guess was, or he's looking at like directions. Yeah. Oh, I don't man. know. But going 80, I mean, if I'm looking at directions, I slow down. I'm the guy that's like, well, they said, they said <laughs> like, oh, he missed the brake and he hit the gas. Like, oh. All right. Whatever. Oh, so anyway, yeah, but bad. his driving is, I'm suspect, and now he's out of the Masters. So we'll, uh, we'll have to move on from that. Yeah. So the course in November was maybe a little bit moist, soft, soft, and it's going to be a little bit different. I know that the weather's going to be good. You're always looking at the weather, Johnny, having caddied on the LPGA and caddied for a couple of guys on the tour. Uh, Weather's a big issue, especially in, in Augusta, Uh, the way, you know, the undulations and the elevation changes in Augusta, the way the wind reacts in certain portions of the golf course can be completely different from what they are in the other place. So give us a rundown of the course, what you're expecting it to be and how is the weather going to affect this whole thing, man? Well, uh, in, in November, right, it was like you guys throwing darts at a dartboard, right? It was, it's just, uh, it, they, the players were be able, they're able to take different lines and play more aggressive. They were able to throw seven, six, five irons in and stop it, right? So they could go play more aggressive, right? Now, I don't think what Dustin did will ever be broken. I mean, he's 20 under par there. Those, those members do not like that, okay? They're not big fans of that, right? So they've been sucking the water out of this golf course like no other and letting the wind do its deal to the point where these guys are saying on Monday, Tuesday, it was the fastest and firmest they've ever seen it. And to the point where the greens are starting to get purple and brown, almost like what they do at an open, right? So what happens there is you can pretty much take anybody that's played in November for the first time, and this is their second time, or this is their first time, Thanks for the walk. Enjoy your time. I hope yeah, you make yeah. the cut because what happens now is the seasoned veterans know that you got to take it in from this angle because you have to hit this bump and let the break take it to this hole. You can't yeah. throw darts at it because it's a completely, totally different golf course. If I'm a caddy and, and, and my player was the first time in November, I, I would just say erase that from your mind. Hopefully you enjoyed the walk and, and everything to do about the masters but you are going to see a completely, totally different golf course. That being said, it's supposed to rain on Friday night and it might rain a little bit on Saturday too. So I'm wondering why did they suck this out of all the water out of the greens? Cause they knew this was coming. Uh, It is only 43% on Friday night. I think it's a little heavier on Saturday, but you know, I'm actually wondering if early late might be the way to go here when it comes to tee times on the splits because they're going to get hard greens, but early in the morning, so they'll still have moisture in them. But when the wind starts blowing in the afternoon, that after those afternoon tee times might be a little, you know, they're going to have to really battle. Saturday morning, so if you make the cut, I think Saturday morning is going to be, if you got somebody that's within eight to ten shots on Saturday morning, coming in Saturday morning, and it's moist because of weather, because of rain, 
and they start throwing those aggressive shots. They're moving their lines a little bit more towards bins. Wow. You can go to five or six under par and post. You have a chance with being within three or four from the lead because of that 65 or 66. Saturday morning is going to be a true moving day for that guy that made the cut and maybe is in the middle of the pack. So that's if you see some big names down there, the Rory's, the Days, or somebody like that that can really throw a number, a Bryson or whatever, because mm-hmm. maybe he drives the ball that well that day. But um, that's I'm, I'm really curious to see how it is Saturday morning of the Masters. So it's that's, almost like uh, the betting thing, right? You said early, late, but obviously early Saturday would be good, and then somebody like Murakama or uh, Murakawa, Colin, what is it? The see, see I don't think I think Colin's no. going to struggle here. No, that's no, that's my point. Is Colin's yeah. going to struggle because the first time he went to the Masters is like, hey, this is great in November, and now he's <laughs> going to be here. And that like you said, those guys, I'm look at all those guys in his category that were young and you know, and just chuck them out. Like you said, this yeah. is going to be a a veteran golf course, and uh, the vets are going to kind of float to the top. So they they say the guy who's going to win uh, or usually wins is 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 they like to say six years. They've played this tournament six years. They've seen every single type of condition possible. They have, you know, another key, uh, and I don't know how they're doing this, but this year, no green books. They're not allowing any green books, right? They, they, they just don't like that, you know, it's, it's just helps, helps the player too much. Now, okay, well, I got, a green, I got a green book from last year. Can I just go ahead and throw that into my own book? Or are they going to check books on the tee box and say, no, you, you can't, uh, you know, do I just go to, do I just go to local office depot, print all my green books, right? Cut them into the smallest squares and then tape them in my book. I mean, is that, is that legal or, you know, so it's going to be quite interesting if you're going to see guys, you know, on the green doing this, because that means they, something's been transferred over, but I don't know if they're checking. I don't know if they're checking their uh, veterans books and say, Sorry, you got to take that out or whatever. But you know, that's fascinating. That that's a Bryson DeChambeau thing. Well, yeah, he he really relies on that. I mean, and and so does Jordan. Jordan's really looking at the book mm-hmm. a lot too. So I don't know how that is all going to go down, or is it like, you know, I I get there and spend all night long just doing little pencil marks, you know, uh, on on breakage. I don't know. I know that they took, you got to think course knowledge is allowed on PGA tour. So, I mean, you know, Michael, you mentioned Spieth earlier, Michael's going to be spending, he spent the last weekend like writing his own little (laughs) cheat sheet in there. Right. So it may look like the green book, but to your point, that's a, that's a new piece of information. Yeah. I didn't know that. And that's, that's that's part of the game. I mean, that's like telling, you know, I guess when one headset goes awry on the, on the football team, then they have to turn the other headset off. Right. They want it to be equal or level. I'm curious. I, 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 and Joe, a good buddy of mine's not there this year, but I mean, I, I'd really like to see what the, how they were able to do the green books or or their own notes. So. Well, you'll have to tune into Johnny's podcast to maybe hear about that later on after we get back from the masters and he has a chance to talk to some people. Yeah. But uh, you know, let let's go through this field. Who do, who do you got? Who who's who's going to be well, your you know, favorite? You're, you're, you're always going to have your favorites, right? The chalk, right? Who yeah. you know? And you who, know, who's the sneakies? Yeah, so you know, you're going to have your 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 JTs, your Spees, your Roms, your Rorys. You know, the the you know, Bryson's an interesting thing. You know, I don't know. I just I think he's going to have he to. Got exposed, to me. I mean, last, he, he, he got exposed, man. He thought he could vomit. He got exposed. Last year, he made 18 birdies and an eagle, right? That's 20 under par. He also made 11 bogeys, two doubles, and a triple, <laughs> right? So, 
you know, he's going to try to drive the first green. He's going to try to drive the third green. Um, he's going to try to drive it over the trees on nine. Um, he's going to try to drive it over the trees on 11. Like he's going to try to play aggressive. What was quite interesting is when it came down to crunch time and he was in the deal at the, at the uh, players, he hits iron off of, a, he hits iron off of 11. I'm sorry, 18. Right. And mm -hmm. plays it really safe. So I don't know, like, I think he needs to prove it to me that he's going to be a guy that, uh, you know, is going to be able to manage his, his driver uh, for four rounds, to be honest with you. Right. So uh, always going to be a spectacle, always going to be fun to watch, but um, I, I need, I need to experience, I need to see it first uh, and I need to see it for four rounds. So um so you have those, those kind of guys. I think that, that what, what, what I'm kind of looking at this week, is kind of like the veterans, right? Because of what's going on uh, the first couple of days. So I kind of like what's happened with Westwood in the last four or five, you know, four or five weeks. Right. So, you know, Westies played there many times. So somebody like Westwood, somebody like Simpson, somebody like Kuchar, right. They're all playing really good golf veterans played around there a lot, you know, um, you know, somebody that's been there since last Friday is Jason Day. So, you know, he's, you know, that's, I, I like to see that he's been there, you know, three days before usually the guys start showing up. So trying to tell me that he wants to learn more about the golf course and be successful. So, um, and you know, so, so when you start checking all the boxes, right. My, my first pick is, is JT, right. I, I think it's JT's year. You check in all the boxes mean it's a sixth year. OK, the last three years, he's been, become very close to Tiger. He's played a lot of practice rounds with Tiger. And I don't know how much information Tiger's leaking about the golf course, but I think he's becoming kind of a little brother uh, to, to Tiger. So I think, um, you know, I think he's really kind of absorbing like a sponge playing with the, with these veterans around here. Um, and he's coming off of a great win at the players. I mean, he really played really good and. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the players on 16 and he takes his driver and he snaps it around the corner. He just hits his low hook. All right. And it's, by the way, it's controlled. And he's kind of said, yeah, I've been working on this because of 13 at Augusta. I got to hit that same shot. <laughs> so I just think that, um, you know, those are, those are the kind of guys, but then you have the, then you have the mid pack, right? You have the Cantlays, the Xanders, uh, the kid from Canada is playing really good. Corey Connors, like those, those are kind of some, some good guys that you might want to let. You know, I'll oh, tell you right now, Tuttle, Tuttle, I'll tell you right now, the guy that I was wanting to say wager on, you know, for a top five, Charlie Hoffman loves Augusta, plays well there. Yeah. Didn't get in. He had to win out of Valero to get in. So that yeah. was uh, that was kind of a bummer because I, I Charlie was, is a sleeper. He plays he, he plays pretty good there. So. That's kind of how I, I see it, um, you know, um, kind of, you know, I think JT's my pick, you know, when he comes to the chalk. Um, mm -hmm. Guy like Cameron Smith might be that my middle pack guy. He's an Australian guy. He plays pretty good there. Maybe Jason Day is in that middle. And then on the lower side of it, maybe you might be able to get pretty good odds. Uh, a Simpson, a Westwood, a Kuchar, maybe some of the veterans. M Matty Fitzpatrick. He plays pretty good on really firm, fast. Oh, money. Yeah. Uh, so he, he's another guy that uh, possibly could do something. Um, another sleeper down there who's a past champion, Bubba Watson. Bubba Watson yeah. plays yeah. good here too. So, um, but 
that, that you know, I'm really curious to see two, two, two things, right, out of these, these elite guys. Rory has come out and said, I need to back it down. After the U.S. Open, when Bryson won, I tried to, I tried to gather more speed. And it's really thrown him out of balance. He doesn't have consistency with the driver. So he's kind of seen that. So he's been in the last three tournaments trying to back it down to where he, and I don't understand why, because he hits it far enough, right? Just hit it <laughs> controlled, right? The other guy's Kepka. I, I don't know what, what he's doing. Like, I don't get it. The guy has knee surgery in March and he's what, and, and Blum, you can express <laughs> your, your, You've been there before, right? I haven't been there. Mm -hmm. But this guy has been doing seven hours a day of rehab since his surgery. Seven hours a day. He cannot squat and 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 look at it. At a, when he's behind his putt, a putt trying to read it, this right leg is going to go straight out while this one's bent. He's going to look like he's in a gymnastics move, right? Because so you know, he can't bend look like his right Tony leg. Pena. Right. So, <laughs> so here he is. <laughs> doing seven hours of rehab per day all the way until the masters. And he gets up there and he's giving it a go. Now, Bummer, you can express, I mean, these Hills are like, Oh, this, right. So. No, that, that's, that's probably the one thing that gets discounted the most is that, uh, you know, on TV, it doesn't do it justice. There's what 115 foot drop from the T at 10 to the green. 60 and feet. And it's not, it's not a gradual, it, I mean, it's, it's one of these numbers. And then you, then once you get down there in Amen corner, you got to come right back out of it and you start coming up, you know, 17 and uh, 18 and it's, it's a haul, man. It's, it's not a, it's, it's a compact course, but it's not a short course to walk because of the undulations and going up and down those hills is going to wear him out. Uh, Tony Fina, we saw his ankle, you know, after he dislocated it. I mean, yeah. that thing looked like a balloon after he got done playing there. But uh, I, I, the info is great, Johnny. You got to tune into his podcast. I'm going to ask Tuttle. You know, I'm gonna, give me three. Give me three guys if you can who you're going to pick in this uh, Masters tournament, just so we can keep an eye on it. Because our podcast is going to come out on Saturday, just like Johnny's. Uh, you can rip us a new one on BleacherBlums.com if you want for picking some bad golfers. But give me three. Give me your three, Tuttle. Well, uh, word of the day is undulations. That's my favorite thing about having a golf yes. podcast. We don't get to say undulations uh, very often in baseball. Um, so I, it's funny. Kucher was on my list. So he's my sleeper. I always have Kucher and couples, man. Fred couples. I love seeing <laughs> Fred couples at like two or three under on Sunday. And he's kind of in the mix. I don't think Fred couples is going to win it. I don't even know if he's playing this year, but I love Fred couples in there. So hopefully he's in uh, couples. Kucher were my sleeper sleepers. And uh, I had Spieth and uh, JT. There is something about um, Justin Thomas, the way he's playing. I mean, Ralph Lauren's going to regret getting rid of him for yelling at himself. Um, but uh, that guy, I mean, he, he's on fire. Um, I will say the same thing about Rory. Rory's not my pick. So I got Spieth and JT at the top, Kuchar and Couples at the bottom. I don't really have too many middle guys. My middle guy would have been Charlie Hoffman. I love how he's playing. And I thought he would have been uh, obviously uh, a, a good addition to that list. But uh yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. Anyway, so those are my guys. So it's hard to win two weeks in a row, I guess, what I'm going to say about Spieth. But, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, oh, I know what I was going to say is that I, I heard this the other day on a, a high-performance podcast. It basically said, instead of trying to prove other people wrong, you got to prove yourself right. And I feel like that that's what Spieth did by winning, right? You know, and Rory said the same thing about his tee shots. Like, I started to try, like, you know, I'm going to play like Bryson DeChambeau. It's like, no, 
play your game, play what got you there. And if these guys figure that part out, that's why Kuchar is always a threat at this tournament. He knows this course so well, he's going to play his game. And if, you know, if he's on mm -hmm. Sunday, then he's got a, a chance to win it. So it'll be interesting to see if Rory can get in the mix by trying to prove himself right instead of prove other people wrong. So who's the master of puppets got? I've got uh, JT. I love JT the way he's playing. I think he's on a roll, and I think he's in a in a spot to go out there and take it. Uh, the, my my second guy, and you talked about him earlier, was Bubba Watson. I just think that his creativity and desire to go out there and win this thing again is is, is a lot. And to be honest, I've been watching the the couple of the Masters uh, guys go off early on this Thursday morning that we're we're recording this podcast. And on three, he hit a great drive, but instead of chipping it directly to the pin, he kind of bumped and ran it off to the right and used the green that John is talking about to get the ball near the hole. So I think that his creativity and knowledge may be one of those factors that puts him over the top and puts him in contention. But uh, I had Xander Shoffley put down. I just, think, I just like his game, and I think that his, his mentality and his ability to make shots – uh, sets up well for what's going on at uh, at Augusta right now because I think with as firm as these greens are and as fast as they're going to be, doesn't set up real good for some of these bombers. Yeah, and, hey, and John and is Shoffley at we, year six. What's that? Excuse me, Shoffley at year six yet? Because that's my no. reason I didn't have him on my list. He's still he's not a little there young yet. I think he's at like yeah. year four. Yeah, I think he's yes. year four. But yeah. I mean, that's here a good we are. Plumber, but that uh, just made me nervous. Ten eleven. It's twelve o'clock in Georgia, right? So. You got some of the field off. Three under is leading par, uh, is leading. Uh -huh. Three under is leading. Matsuyama, and that's only through eight holes. Um, but Corey Connors, I talk about, yeah, he's yep. two under after 10. Um, so, and then, you know, there's a bunch of guys at one under and, and even par. But I'm going to go off because you both picked JT, so I got to have somebody different, right? So I'll take John Rom. Mm -hmm. um for the being the new father he just had a he just had a baby boy hopefully that um, calms him down a little bit yeah well he just have, doesn't have to worry about it anymore right it's, it's <laughs> yeah. um i'm gonna say that my middle my middle deal um is gonna be jason day okay mm, i like him and yeah my, and then my 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 down at the sleeper well and i don't know if it's much of a sleeper but i i do like lee westwood um yeah i thought He's it was quite interesting it. that the monday of the Monday of the match play, he jumped on a plane with his son, who's going to caddy is caddying for him this week, you know, because his girlfriend's been caddying for him. And they went and walked 36 holes at uh, Augusta and then came back on that Monday night and, you know, practice Tuesday, Wednesday. So um, he's a seasoned veteran. He knows how to play the golf course. He's playing great. I love the guy's mentality right now. It's yeah. like I just smile and enjoy it. I think it's quite interesting that he's doing his own yardages now. Oh, he's probably doing some with his son, but with his girlfriend, he does, he does all the yardages. Now he's fully confident that he has the right iron. Nobody's trying to talk him into anything. Like it's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Right. So, um, but uh, that's, those are my three. Right. And uh, I like it. The best men win. And yep. uh, you know, we'll. Uh, thanks for coming on Johnny. Yeah. 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 And uh, thanks for uh, promoting extra holes. And um uh, Blummer, hopefully I get to see you in Houston at the end of the month because I'm going to loop at the, uh, at the, uh, Insperity, uh, for the uh, champions tour and hopefully I get to see you there. Um, and then, uh, are you guys going to be coming out for summertime at all? 
I hope so, man. I mean, hearing that California is going to open up to 100% on June 15th, I believe, was the announcement from Governor Newsom, which is, uh, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, things are definitely ramping up here in Texas, but hopefully California, California saying that is giving me hope because California, one of the more progressive liberal states out there and for them to announce that is really giving me hope. And then the vaccine, the way it's running out there and being effective, I think is another reason to give hope. So we appreciate everybody on the Bleacher Blums podcast who is out there on the front lines. We talked about them putting on the black lab suit, putting on Metallica and making that vaccine and they listened and they made it happen. So we appreciate all the frontline workers, all of the uh, military, all of the uh, first responders, the essential workers. We appreciate everybody out there putting these events on and allowing us to have these events. But of course, uh, you know, that's just one of the things we do here on Blue Blums is thank all those that uh, put these things in motion to give us an opportunity. Tuttle, I'll let you rock this thing out here, dude. All right, folks. Uh, Masters week. Get after it and believe it.